Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and Randy is not in the studio today. This is his day off, um, but he's probably, uh, he was probably up like three hours ago. I was going to say he's like <laughs> laying in bed right now, but he's he's definitely wide awake drinking <laughs> yeah. coffee. Um, but I've got a special guest today. His name is Mike Wiggin, and yep. uh, he is many things. He wears many hats, but he is a pastor and a friend of mine, and he's doing some really cool things right now, and uh, he's helping me do some pretty cool things right now. So we're going to get into that real quick uh, right after this message. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, Mike. Uh, so you're a pastor. Yes, sir. That is how I met you. Yeah. Um, was I was trying to connect. I'll just I'll just kind of explain to the listeners how, how we met. Yeah. Uh, I originally was trying to reach out to pastors in the area mm-hmm. because I was trying to get some like camaraderie going. Yeah. Right. And then I go and I meet another pastor in the area, yep. Matt. And I'm talking to him and I'm like, hey, here's what I'm kind of thinking. And he's like, well, actually, we're kind of doing something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, why don't you come meet them? And I was yeah. like, okay. So then he threw my name in the ring for mm-hmm. um, Christ Together, which yeah. is what we're talking about today. Yeah. yeah. And that's when I met you and a bunch of other super cool guys. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before we dig into, you know, what is Christ Together too much, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. This no is problem, awesome. Um, so my name is Mike Wigan. Like Zach said, um, been married for this coming up Tuesday, 26 years. Um, it's crazy. I have three sons, 24, 23, and 18. Um, I have been kind of co-vocational in my pastoral career. Um, when I turned 22, my, my wife and I got married that year. We immediately entered full-time ministry, but it was more of a co-vocational model. So I've only been actually full-time as a pastor <clears throat> without a, a job in the, the marketplace for about the last five, six years now. And so leading up to that, uh, we planted our very first church in 2006, and the church that I still lead, we planted January of 2012. So we just turned 11. So um, local church context here in our city, and yeah, so that's that's my pastoral 
I guess, role. Well, I didn't really tell you my role. That's my pastoral history, I guess. Right, right. Uh, my role, I'm the lead pastor, so I, I'm specifically over our, our vision and our disciple making. And so we have a couple other pastors on staff, but that's my role specifically. Cool. Um, you, you said something interesting uh, that, I, I don't know, maybe maybe not all of our listeners are used to hearing, like, the concept of co-vocational pastors. Mm, yeah. But, like, I, I personally, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your view, yeah. I think it's going to be more and more and more of a thing. I do, too. And I, I honestly feel like it gave me an advantage. So the, the traditional pastor track is you go to Bible college, maybe seminary, and then straight into a church. Um, God didn't give me that path, right. which I'm grateful for, honestly, because I, I was able to work next to someone and invite mm-hmm. them to the church I was starting. And it gave me kind of a, a street credit, if you will, because I, I understood their struggle. I understood what they were dealing with in, in marketplace, um, just trying to make a living as well as I was doing some of the, so when people would say they would wait, you're starting a church too. I say, yeah, you should come and be a part of it. And so I'm not saying that pastors who don't have a job in the world aren't going to have an advantage. That's not what I'm saying. I, but I feel like, especially when you're going to plant a church, um, and I, I make a big distinction between starting a church and planting a church. I don't know if you want me to talk about that here or not, but I'd be interested. Um, so starting a church is when you go into a city, you gather a core group of people, you start a new work that prim- primarily is filled with Christians from other churches. Gotcha. So that would be a church start. The Holy Shuffle. The Holy Shuffle, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's it. A church plant would be gathering a core group of believers, training them how to disciple people towards salvation mm-hmm. to make them disciple makers to make disciple makers and your church is growing through the conversion of the lost to the hope of Jesus. And that, that would be a church plant. So and that is a whole lot less common. I think. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> for sure. Yeah, man. Like for sure. I'm so used to just seeing like, we, we've talked about this here at new hope is like, you know, we get a lot of vis- visitors here. Sure. But it seems like every time we do, it's just people from other churches. Yeah. And that's not, I'm not knocking that. No, no. But that's not growing the kingdom. That's right. You know, that's just like shuffling the kingdom around, yeah. which is fine. You got to find your place. But sure. like, yeah, we, we got to have more of a focus on bringing people to Christ. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's kind of what Christ Together is all about. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. So like, what is that? Yeah, so Christ Together is, it's an organization that <clears throat> basically wants to answer the John 17 prayer. Uh, Jesus, that that we would be unified as churches, um, but it it's not an organization that tells you how to do it. They actually write an operating system for you to implement. So what it does is it, it challenges a pastor to move from a castle mindset to a kingdom mindset. So if you have a castle mindset, you have, I care about my church, which is a bit of an oxymoron because it's not our church anyways, right? <laughs> um, I only care about <clears throat> growing my church and I only care about seeing success in my church and I'm not really caring about the kingdom. So basically what you're saying is without saying is I, I feel like we can take on the task and the mission of our city alone. We don't need to do it with anybody else. Well, what Christ Together's goal is, is to say, hey, this is not what Jesus intended for his church. What if we did this together? And it asks one question 
that you, you're forced to answer. What is it going to take to reach our city for Jesus? And can you do it alone? Well, the answer to that is we're not really sure what it's going to take or we would have already done it. And no, we clearly can't do it alone or we would have already done it, right? And so what happens is, is Christ Together is a convening organization that pulls people around this whole mission of the gospel of, hey, we're losing rapidly for lostness in our cities. We have to do this together. So let's answer Jesus's John 17 prayer and be unified around his church. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who say, well, you're not my denomination or we don't believe the same thing. And, mm. you know, we've I personally have distilled that down to um, do you believe Jesus plus nothing else is the only way to salvation? And if a person says, yes, I can work with you. Because there's a lot of open-handed issues that we don't even need to talk about, right? You know? Right. Um, and so, you know, if you would say, "Well, um, I'm reformed and and there's predestination," you would say, "Well, I'm Arminian and you choose." Well, do both of you agree that we have to go reach the lost first? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Jesus, it's Jesus is the only way. That's it. There's nothing else, right? Yes. Okay. Great. Let's work together. Right. <laughs> right. And so I think we make it too difficult. And um, what I have seen Christ Together do, um, so Christ Together is in 97 cities in the U.S. Um, they tier their cities, tier one, two, and three. Um, tier three cities have been envisioned, which means um, someone from Christ Together, and a lot of times I'll do this as well. You go into a city and you show them what it would look like to work together. And you kind of give them an envisioning of an operating system that would lead you to that multiplication mindset. Um, then tier two cities uh, have a network built. So our our city is considered a tier two city. So we have a network built and being developed Um Tier one city is we have multiplied the network and we have maybe a few networks around, which is what we're obviously shooting for. Yeah. Um, and so in the tier one cities, for an example, um, in Buffalo, New York, they they have literally watched the percentage of lostness drop drastically because of the effort of Christ together there in Buffalo. Started out with a handful of churches. I think one actually, I believe there's now 300 in their network. And when somebody plants a church from Buffalo, they say, well, who planted you? Was it New Hope? Was it City Life? They go, nope, the church of Buffalo did. And they go, yeah, what church though? The church of Buffalo. Right. So they've believed in this unity so much that there's no, there's no distinction when multiplication and planting happens out of it. It's the church actually coming together like Jesus intended. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, so. You, you said something there that I, man, just knowing some of the people I know, mm -hmm. it, it extends beyond theology a yeah. little bit into almost do, like it's like dogma, like that there are certain churches out there that I don't know could ever play ball, I mm. guess is what I'm saying here. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, I, I heard you talking about that a little bit. Uh, you were talking about uh, a situation where, where where somebody was was thinking about getting into this, but they were like, "Yeah, I just don't know that. I don't see how that fits into like my denomination." It's like, yeah. well, maybe there's a problem with that, <laughs> right? Yes. And it's like, you know, Jesus. I mean, think about was it um, who was it in Scripture where Jesus says, "If they're not against us, then they're with us." 
It's just there's yeah, so, there are other right. people preaching yeah preaching the same message as you. That's yeah, all right. they say, right? Yeah. yeah. And he says, "Well, wait, don't tell them to stop." Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and obviously the t- disciples have a problem with it because like maybe there's some kind of difference in the way they're going about mm-hmm. it. But like at the end of the day, we're fighting the same fight here. Yeah. Let them yeah. join us, right? Absolutely. And like I think we put that barrier up between ourselves without even realizing yeah like you look at the group of guys we've got right now and without naming names yeah i mean because i don't i don't know how what stage each of them are in with like getting their church on board and everything yeah but like dude we got guys from all across the spectrum (laughs) of like you know tiny churches to mega churches and it's awesome it is it's cool to see it like working together yeah Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. So, um, like what's, what's working in, cause we're in the baby stages. We're in the early yep. stages yep. here. What's working in like Buffalo. So, well, I'm, I'll transfer to Austin. I'll tell you how this impacts the city. Cause Austin is probably the other model that we can look at. Um, there was a large church in town who, uh, honestly like m- large by massive proportion over every other church. So what would happen is these little churches would live in the shadow of this big church and, they would do a lot for the community, and they were a good church, um, but they sent a survey out and they to pastors and leaders around and said, you don't have to put your name on, but anonymously tell us how we can help you. And they said, basically what happened is they said, if you would tell us what we can do to be a part of helping in the city, we will work with you. And so they basically just said, hey, you know, you you can't do this on your own, even though you're the biggest church and doing some incredible things. So what happened is they started to gather and this pastor gathered these pastors together and they identified the biggest need in their city. Well, in that particular part, um, what they noticed was is that if children couldn't read proficiently by third grade, they didn't graduate high school or they never went on to college. So the school system couldn't do anything about it funding wise. So these churches decided we are going to actually spend time with third graders, teaching them how to read and comprehend what they're reading. Statistically now that it has shifted the culture in Austin so rapidly, it has become its own organization and it is actually, um, the, the metrics of it have turned out an incredible, um, display of not only the kingdom coming together, but actual practical things happening when all those churches started working together and took on that primary effort in the city. And so that was all birthed out of, hey, what would happen if we did this together rather than alone, even though we're the biggest church in town? And so Hmm. 
yeah, so it's pretty incredible when you rally people around a cause. And then obviously you have all of these kids sitting in churches learning how to read and they're getting the gospel at the same time. Right. So it's practical and spiritual at the same time. And you can see both of them displayed in the mission of Jesus. And, you know, it's really hard to to pull those two things apart because they shouldn't be. Right. Right. So that's just that's just one example. But I mean, in Buffalo there, you know, it's a it was a I think a big not necessarily steel town, but kind of a, a manufacturing town that was really hit hard. And they've, they've been able to help with a lot of the community projects there. Hmm. They've been like the churches have been able to join together. It, it's pretty incredible. So, so, I mean, it's, it sounds to me like what's working is a community focus. Yeah. With the church unifying behind that cause. Yes, for sure. Right. For sure. And so, if you think about it in these terms, the primary goal of Christ together is lostness in our cities, right? It's right. to saturate the city with the gospel. Okay. So look at statistics. Today, we are as lost as we've ever been as a nation. Sure. We have more churches than we ever have as a nation. Clearly, something's not working. And and not just more churches, bigger churches. Bigger churches. <laughs> more money in those churches. Like, I mean, like, I mean, crazy amounts. Yeah. Yeah. So if we just keep pressing play on the same broken OS operating system by measuring a scorecard that Jesus never tells us to measure, right. Then we are just going to see more and more people move further away from Jesus rather than closer. So the whole goal of Christ together is to saturate our cities with the gospel. Mm -hmm. Now, the way we do that can be through community effort and rallying around actual causes. And then, but the whole point is to saturate our city with the gospel, right? Yeah. So, you know, we've already mentioned the, the holy huddle or the sheep swap. The, what would, I think would be amazing is in a city like ours, like, so we have nine churches together here in our city. So if somebody leaves city life and goes to new hope and they go, dang it, they're doing the same thing as city life. And then they leave and they go over to another church and they go, dang it, they're doing the same thing as these two churches. Where can I go and where something's new? But if we're all together in this, it's going to be really hard for people to jump around church to church because we're, yeah, we're going to have our own distinct, you know, things that God has called us to do. And we're going to have our, our way that we communicate and the things we do in the city, but we would all be in this together. So it's going to be really awkward to change families, if you will. Right. Um, And so that, that is just an, added benefit to this that, if that you will. everybody maintains their people because they're yeah. like well why would i go anywhere else everybody yeah. here is doing the same thing and exactly. these are my people exactly right yeah but because because i mean i really do believe a lot of the shuffle we see is due to just what attracts yeah. any given person yeah. like is it a youth program is it yeah. the music is it the teaching music's too loud music's too soft music's <laughs> too old music's too new you know yeah. like w- w- it's like this a la carte church menu. That's right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know that that's the point here. Like, no. No. we need to be saving people. Absolutely. And that seems to be like one of the last things we focus on. We would never say that. Right. We would never say that. Right. But at the end of the day, dude, I mean, you start challenging people to, yeah. to start discipling people and 
conversations get real awkward. <laughs> yeah, because they know. Everybody yeah. knows that we're bad at it and it's yeah, hard. I know. So we got to start working out that muscle, right? That's right. Like, well, and it's funny. I, I tell our church all the time, I say, if you tell me where you spend, what's the most important to you? And, you know, we'll have that conversation. And everybody, you know, wants to give the Jesus answer. And I say, okay, well, it's really easy. Let's open your calendar and open your, your bank accounts. And yeah. that's that's the mo- two most important things to you, where you spend your time, where you spend your money. It's no different than a church. So everywhere they put their budgets, everywhere they put their effort and time, if you think about the spheres of influence of Jesus, um, Jesus, here's another ironic thing that I learned about Jesus. We do a lot of one-on-one discipleship. Jesus never did that. His right. only one-on-one was with the Father. He then moved out to the three, Peter, James, and John, inside of the twelve. And those two areas are where he spent the majority of his time. He would then go out, you know, and we see a couple interactions with him in the 72. And then we would see him spending very little time with the crowds. Right. Well, think about the church model today. We staff for the crowds. We budget for the crowds. And we prepare for the crowds. The place Jesus spent the least amount of time. And so the reason why we're so bad at disciple making and leading people to Jesus is because we have that model flipped over. Jesus, quite honestly, didn't care about the crowds. He did it to show his glory and his power and his purpose, like feeding the 5,000. But that's not why he was here. After that, he then got away with his 12. He taught them that lesson. He, he grew their faith. He instructed right. them. He discipled them. And, and he gave them a chance to actually put that faith in action before he did it. He's like, all right, we'll feed him. Right. <laughs> right. But that was all part of that disciple making process that he was doing was growing them. So he had to show them. Well, right. it was shown in the crowds, but then he goes away. Right. Right. Yeah. So I do. So that's Jesus's process, right? Yeah. But I think we miss one of the spheres because it's Jesus and we don't see that part with him because yeah. he's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it starts with self. Like you got to get your own house in order. You yeah. got to like, it's the like, don't go pull the splinter out yeah. of your brother's <laughs> eye before you take the log out of your own kind of thing. Yeah. Um. There's a tool uh, Jason and I use in like coaching stuff. I think I showed yeah. it to you once, but it's, uh, it starts, it, it's five spheres of influence, five yeah. circles of influence. And it's uh, yourself, then your family, then your team, then your organization, then your community. Yeah. The problem is everybody wants to go, here, I'm going to go fix my community. Yep. <laughs> and so I jump straight to community and I'm like, oh, now I'm going to go fix all that. And it's like, no, you, you aren't even focusing on the people closest yeah. to you. How do you think you're going to change the world? Yeah, that's right. If you can't get one you in order or yeah. two, like just the three closest people to you in order. That's you know? right. Well, you hit on something really important where I think the the problem is with our sheep swap. Um, Even in our own families, we don't focus on our own families. So what's easier? Okay, so church is supposed to be a family of believers. Well, if I'm sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and I have a disagreement with one of my family members, I don't excommunicate myself from my family. Right. (laughs) You deal with it. Right. Like that's what you do as family. Well, that's how the early church lived. That's how we're supposed to live. But it's easier to go to the church down the road. Right. Because it's way more comfortable to do that than to have a difficult conversation. Right. Yeah. So your spheres of influence are spot on because it's easier for us to just jump out of that family go to some community that doesn't know us and then show them our best. But then when it happens there, we go, well, the time for a different community. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? you're, 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 ju- you're literally airdropping in new communities. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. But I mean, 
isn't that kind of where the world's headed today? And I, I don't mean to get all like meta, but yeah. ooh, wow, that was a little funky because I think meta is actually one of the huge problems in this. Yeah. But like down the road, man, you're going to have your own little tailor fitted world and you yeah. kind of already do. Yeah, you you do. know, your, your whole social media life is like catered to you mm-hmm. where they only show you what you absolutely love or what you absolutely hate. Yeah. And like, it's like your own little world and we're just pushing more and more to that. Yeah. Look at houses now. Mm-hmm. Back in biblical times, everybody lived in one room. Yeah. Now, dude, we put so many walls between each other, (laughs) we don't even know what's going on. No. And, like, there's – I think that lessens accountability in each other's lives and connection. But, like, I think that's what Christ Together is doing, though, among churches. Yeah. Is it's going – Oh, look at all these little castles. And it's knocking down the four walls of each castle and going, now you need to build one big wall around yeah, all of you. Yeah. That's the church. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think that's yeah. cool, man. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I've It's really bothered me in recent years of, of how our church in America has become the way it has. And so there's a book called The Democratization of Christianity in America. And it ties everything back to how our country was started and how the church became what it is today and how it was tied so deeply back to big business and actually politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't need to jump into that specifically, but, um, but it's, it's amazing when you look at the Bible in scripture and you, I'm sorry, the church in, in the Bible. And then you look at the church today, it's like, wow, how did we get here? Because globally the average church size is 18 people. Right. In America, the average church size is about 65 people. But when we drive through cities full of mega churches, we go, well, that's the normal. Well, then when a mega church, and nothing against mega churches, I've been an elder at a mega church, and um, a lot of my good friends pastor mega churches. But that what tends to happen is when I'll, I'll give it in a marriage analogy. When my wife and I first got married, in our refrigerator was probably a jar of pickles and nothing else and no food in the cabinet. <laughs> and so we needed people to help us, right? So we went to my parents for dinner, her parents for dinner. Well, when you're starting out as a church and you need help, there becomes a transition moment when you no longer need people's help. And then you just start to inform yourself and you start to influence and then other people need you. And so I think that's what's happened in the churches and that's never, ever what the intention has been. So it, it puts us in silos. It puts us in castles rather than kingdoms. But before, if you look at, at the book of Acts, it says that they were all together in in homes, breaking bread, fellowshipping, and no one had a need that was unmet. Right. That's because they were in deep community of it's, the kingdom. I, it's it's This is rough to say, but it's like a commune almost. Like, <laughs> right. It's like they're <laughs> just helping each other out, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But we hear that and we, we go to like you know, the free love 60s, 70s. Right. And we're like, no way, yeah. buddy. But like, that's not, it's not the same, but like, no. it right. freaks us out. It does. It absolutely does. Well, and it, it we've been so conditioned for individualism today right. that community is so foreign to us. Oh, 100%. You know? And so for, you're like, wait, that guy goes to another church and you want me to do stuff with him. First off, I think we go, wait, is that okay? <laughs> right. I, I'm not competing against him. Right. You know, there's definitely a time when that that's how it would have hit me. Oh, for sure. Me too. Yeah. Hands down. No question about it. And so I think the role of Christ together, shifting pastors um, in their hearts towards this, this operating system of counting a different scorecard. Mm. That's, that's the part we haven't talked about yet. That is, that is where um, I think the rubber really meets the road. So 
if you remember in the very first meeting you came to of ours for Christ together, I've said this a few different times. I have said, you will either have to throw your Bible out or change. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Because it's really clear what the Bible calls, number one, us as pastors to do. But secondly, it's really clear the mission that Jesus gave his church. Well, there's a lot of expressions and iterations of this, and that's great. But here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. I, as a pastor, am called to equip the people who Jesus has trusted me with to pastor and lead. Well, the difference in that is when I, my job is not to stand up in front of people and make them rely on me to where they have to come back for their growth week after week and rely on me. My job is actually to equip them and shift the model to the Home Depot model away from the Burger King model. <laughs> Burger King, you can have it your way. You can have whatever you want. It's This is your world. We're just living in it, right? The Home Depot model says you can do it and we can help. Yeah. So when we transitioned this in our church, in 2019, I preached a series called Made for More out of the book of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. And it was six essential shifts out of the book of Ephesians. And the whole point is we used to operate in a we can do it as the paid professionals and you can help us to now you're going to do it and we're here to help you. And that's what it means out of Ephesians 4 to equip the saints for every good work. And so what that does is that, that here's the irony in this, that challenges a pastor's identity because if I say, wait, if people no longer need to show up and need me, am I going to have a job? (laughs) Well, I would say the contrary, your job's going to get far more, not only important, but busier because as you graduate, so to speak, disciple makers, and they're out building the kingdom and bringing them back in, you have a constant flow of people coming through the door that you're there to help make disciple makers as well as your people are. Right. And so it's actually the reverse. You know, if we would just do what scripture says and make disciple makers who make disciple makers, which was, in my opinion, Jesus wrapped our identity and our mission all in one in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he gave us no other final command. He didn't say, go plant churches. He didn't say, go build megas. He didn't say, go have micros. He didn't, he said, go and make disciples, right? right? That's our identity and mission wrapped in one. So a lot of, a lot of the way our church construct is set up today, my identity can be totally found in my failure or success of whatever it is I build. Well, COVID crashed all that down pretty heavy. (laughs) And so coming out of COVID, now I think is why in our city specifically, we are seeing this shift towards, okay, maybe I do need to work with you. COVID kind of burned away all of the like, the facade Mm -hmm. and showed us how rotten things were underneath. Yeah. You know? For sure. And and I think it's been decades of buildup of just problems yes. that we have pretended weren't there. Yeah. Just and ignored. COVID <laughs> was like, well, now you got to deal with it. Yeah, that's so right. So I, I honestly, man, I think COVID was a blessing to the church in a lot of ways. 100%. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think God was shaking the trees. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, when, when we now see the return to church, I just read a statistic the other day, pre COVID, well, 1950s, um, Four out of five was regular attendance in a Sunday 
gathering for mm-hmm. people. Right now, it's one out of every six. That is regular church attendance. Seems right. Yeah. And so you look at this and you go, okay, our, our followers of Jesus aren't even satisfied with the church we're producing right now. Mm. Because they don't see it as important enough to be there more than one time in six weeks. Right. Obviously, there's you know exceptions to that. But um, so I, I feel like Jesus is giving us the opportunity to reset and go, all right, what what do you intend for your church to look like, Jesus, in a post-COVID world that is clearly desperately looking for something to save them? And it's there we're finding this in gender confusion, in equality issues, in in racial divisions, a lot of which need to be talked about and communicated. But even if all of those were made right and you got your way and everything it still offers you nothing but heartache and pain. Right. So clearly our world is looking for salvation. Right. right. And so we as a church, that's what we're called to display. Our identity as a follower of Jesus is to go and make disciples, teach them all you've observed or tell them everything you've observed, teach them how to obey me, baptizing them. And, and then you just continue that process over it's and cycle. over and over. Yeah. yeah. Because, well, that's the funny thing. I, I liked uh, one thing said at our last meeting, but, uh, was that, you know, he, he says, go and make disciples of every nation. Mm-hmm. He says, teaching them to obey all my commandments. Mm-hmm. And one of those commandments is to go and make disciples of every nation. <laughs> and it's like, I think we try to loophole that one out. Yeah. Because it's like, well, he just said it to them. No, yeah. he said, oh, teach them to obey everything. Yeah, that's right. And that's part of it. That's right. right? <laughs> so that's connected too, man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and I'll tell you the sobering reality for me when I, when Christ Together posed this, and, and I haven't talked about the scorecard yet, sorry. Um, it was very simply, do you realize you are going to stand in front of Jesus one day and that not just you are called to make disciples and lead people to the hope of Jesus. Every single person sitting in your church is called to do that too. And if you're not equipping them to do that, you have to take responsibility for that. Now, it's my job to train and equip them and deploy them. It's their job or responsibility to then open their mouth and do it but I have to do my job first. And so I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and say, Hey, um, you know, thanks for leading city life. Uh, gave you all these people. Their responsibility was also the great commission. How'd you prepare them? And mm. I, I don't want to have to answer that question with any other way, except for, well, here's how we trained them, Jesus, you know, here's how we deployed them. Um, the, then it was up to them, you know, and we obviously disciple them and help them and walk with them. But my point is, I think when we, we have the traditional church model, whereas we can do it as the paid professionals and you're going to help us, I think inadvertently it removes the weight of the great commission personally in people's lives because they go, well, yeah, that's what you get paid to do, Hmm. you know? And so that, that's a big, big shift. Now scorecard. Here's why this is this is so different. We count success off of butts, bucks, and baptisms. One hundred percent. Right. So we sometimes we say butts, bucks, and bricks. And bricks, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> yes, for sure. And it's it's so ironic to me how I can drive through our city and I can pass by the largest church here and go, "Wow, I want to go see what their model is because clearly they're successful." Well. Why? 
what what's because their church is the biggest and the, the most amount of people gather in that building. Right. What makes that a success according to who? Right. And so when you look at when you would understand the scorecard of butts, bucks and baptisms, those three specifically, um, when you look at Acts 8, when they were gathering in large gatherings and then persecution came in and scattered the church in Acts 8. I mean, a lot of scholars, and I would agree with them, think that that was Jesus saying like, hey, no, this is how this has to go out. Stop gathering in these large groups. Um, but they were they were mega church numbers, right? So you fast forward to Acts 19.10, and it says that all of Asia heard the gospel in under two years. Now, depending on who you talk to, it's anywhere from two to eight million people. I don't really know. I haven't studied that specifically. But clearly, two million people didn't funnel through the Hall of Tyrannus in two years to hear the gospel from Paul on a weekly teaching, right? Or even a daily teaching. So he clearly had disciple makers and networks of disciple makers out taking the hope of the gospel to people as well as preaching the word in the Hall of Tyrannus, right? Because right. all Paul was doing during that time, he was just preaching in the synagogues. Yeah, like, right. Well, I shouldn't say synagogues, I guess, but he's preaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, like, yeah, he can't reach all those no, people. No way. No way. And so he built networks of disciple makers everywhere, and which is how the rapid spread of the gospel went all the way around Asia. Asia is not small. <laughs> right. Um, it's much larger today, people-wise, but still millions of people heard the gospel in under two years. Any pastor would love to have that on their resume, oh right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, but when you think about that, it changes the scorecard because the scorecard then says, wait, it's not about gathering the most amount of people to come and hear me tell them something. I, we have... I'll pause for a second. We have started to call City Life a rally point hmm. because a rally point is where, first off, you leave to go fight a battle with your marching orders, your munitions, your food rations, so on and so on. So if every Sunday we can deploy our church full of disciple makers, they're going to go out and they're going to fight the war because, let's be honest, that's what we're in. We are in an all-out war with the enemy spiritually. We are then going to come back to the rally point beat up, bruised, in need of refilling. And so we want City Life to be be considered a rally point for our city for for the saints out <coughs> um, fighting this war head-to-head with, with the enemy who wants to, to distract people away from the hope of the gospel. But we are going to, we are going to be the tip of the spear face-to-face with an enemy. And that's a hard hard life to live. So you have to come back to the rally point and you have to see your brothers and sisters who've been fighting amongst you. You have to hear a word that's going to encourage you and train you and send you back out. Right. Um, and that is what I feel like the church is supposed to be operating as. It's the opposite of how we're running it currently. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the, let me just get through the week <laughs> so I can go back and, and, you know, or what, uh, Maybe that's not even right. Maybe it's more, let me focus on my week. Let me have a great week. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go back to church. Now I'm going to learn a few things. Now I'm going to go back to life. I'm going to check that off. And I'm yeah. blaming everybody on this. There's yeah. plenty of people that get it, but there's sure. others that don't. Yep. And like yours is the opposite. It's we're going out and we're going to battle hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be our focus yeah. is we're going to be trying to change lives of people. Yeah. But then I've got to come back and the church is just like the nourishment. It's yeah. like it's the 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 little breather to get you back on your feet to go back and do it again another yeah, week. That's right. Yeah. So the focus isn't Sunday. No, the focus is every other day of the week. Yeah. 
That's right. And that's why we do our training environments that we do. And so, and please hear me, we are not doing this perfectly. We're just, we're figuring it out as we go, just trying to make the biggest impact we can. Um, But our training environments are what we put the most emphasis on. So we have deep community uh, intentionality. And so we actually modeled our communities after um, Bridgetown, uh, John Mark Comer, because they did a survey. They, they, you know, that church full of 20 year olds there in Portland. Um, and what they were seeing is they would, they would fill up their services on Sunday morning with all of these really outwardly passionate 20 year olds raising their hands in worship, engaging with the sermon who would then leave and go sleep with their girlfriend, Hmm. leave and go get drunk in the bar that night. So they're like, wait, something is not right here. So they, they developed and they had small groups. So they developed communities, which brought a high accountability and a high cost, if you will. So if you, you, you look at that accountability matrix, everything up and to the right is what they were calling people to. So when they did this, they said, okay, here's how this is going to go. It's church around a stage and church around the table. And if you are not willing to be part of both, you're not, we don't want you to be a part of these communities until your mm-hmm. life is ready to do that. And so, you know, John Mark Comer saying is practicing the way of Jesus. Well, when you read the book of Acts, when they um, acknowledge Christians, they're like, oh, you're part of the way. And so they're just bringing that first century church metric back of practicing the way of Jesus in the context of our cities. And so when we started to look at this, we saw that they always share a meal together, which, which doubles as communion because that's what it was like in the first century. Communion was a meal together. Um, and then they practice what they were intending to like either what they've learned that week on stage or a specific practice, like a Sabbath practice or, you know, a rule of life practice, whatever. And so we, we, like I just had my community last night and we had just a rich time of laughter around a meal for an hour. And then we talked for the second hour really intentionally about community. And then we left with intentional things we're practicing together. Mm. And so it's a deep sense of community. Um, and you know, we, everybody in our community prayed last night. Um, and each one of them said, God, I thank you so much for this community and what it means to me that we're doing life together. This is the highlight of my week. And, you know, I mean, our community is nothing special, man, but we're really intentional on what we're doing together. And so that is a high emphasis at city life. But then we have these, these three training environments that, um, discovery Bible study, we, we want to immerse people in the word. And so we have a 15 week discovery Bible study that goes from Genesis to revelation. We have a hope dealer training that teaches you how to share the hope of the gospel. And then we have a missionary pathway. That's a seven week, um, adapted from the Kansas City Underground for us to teach you how to live as a missionary where you live, work, learn, and play. Um, because bottom line is our citizenship is now transferred to heaven, so we don't live here anymore. <laughs> we're sojourners. We're missionaries here. And so we need to teach you how to live as a missionary here. Right. And so, so yeah, Sunday, um, it's it's important because we love to see people. We love to to worship together. We love to share the word together. Um, but it's it's a deploying agency, and that that's a different scorecard. Yeah. So um, now, do we want to see more people come in the door? Absolutely, we do. Um, Still so got to keep the lights on. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we want to train them and send them out. Right. You know? So, um, and again, we. <laughs> I, I hope no one hears. Hey, we've got this figured out. You should look at our model. <laughs> we do not. <laughs> we're just we're just trying. Say, Jesus, what do you want? And we're trying it, and 
we're just trying to do, you know, the best of our ability, what we can. So. I, I really liked what you said a couple minutes ago. You said, you know, we're nothing special, but we're, we're intentionally trying to yeah. do this. And dude, like intentionality goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You don't accidentally read your Bible. You don't <laughs> right. accidentally pray. Yeah. Like if you're not being intentional, you're just responding to everything else that's happening to you. Mm-hmm. And if that's how you're living your life, dude, you're going to get sucked up in anything coming your way. And yeah. it's not going to be Jesus. No. Because life's going to come for you. Because yeah, it doesn't right. want you going right. after Jesus, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, being intentional is a pretty special thing these yeah. days, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> for sure. Um, so maybe we could talk about the way, uh, that you focus on disciple making. Sure. We've started talking about it here at New Hope a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've been getting a little bit, a little bit of pushback that it sounds like, um, a, uh, pyramid scheme and that's because it does <laughs> sure does but uh the beauty of pyramid schemes is uh the person sitting at the top of the pyramid really matters that's right <laughs> and in our case it's a really good guy and his yes, name is jesus is. yes it is so. <laughs> that's right now that's really good man so i started to study movements because it always baffled me why movements happen all over the globe um and we really haven't seen that in the u.s um, and so there's a couple guys who've written pretty essential in this. Steve Addison's one that um, he wrote, like the rise and fall of movements. And one of the things he says, the two elements that are present in every movement of God are white hot faith and extraordinary prayer and fasting. And the last known revival that has been documented is when in the revival in the Hebrides in 1949, two little old ladies started looking around their city and going, okay. The churches are empty. The bars are full. God, this is not okay. We have to do something about this. And they just got on their face and prayed and begged God to move something. They said, we are not letting you go until you move. So long story short, man, the Holy Spirit fell on that place. And and you can read the accounts of this. It's incredible. But um, one of the guys, Duncan Campbell, who was a pastor there, he wrote an account of it, and he said it was like the Holy Spirit stood outside this little church in the Isle of the uh, Hebrides and just rang a bell, and people all over the globe came to see what was happening in a day and time of no social media and no way to get fast you know, messaging out. Um, and then it just stopped. Um, but the impact that it had is incredible. And so I've been saying, okay, God, what – what does that look like for us to actually see a move like that happen here in, in our country? And there's a lot of pastors praying that and wanting that. And, and I can tell you that a group of pastors and I from around the country thought 2020 was the year. Mm. Oh yeah. And boy, oh, yeah. was it a year. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, I, I, again, we talked about this. I, I genuinely agree with you that it was a gift from the Lord and it's like, okay, now that there's been a, a massive shakeup and people who were fringing or counting church as just a checklist have now been removed from it for five months or so, wherever you were in the country or the world and longer around the world. And it's like, okay, well, is it that important to me to go back? I can just watch this online. This is just another YouTube video for me. And so being in community, eh, whatever. Um, being a part of this, eh, whatever. And so what we're doing is we are... We're saying, okay, the ones who want to be here, we're going to capitalize on that like crazy. And we're going to train and deploy you uh, for the time that we have you, right? And so our intentionality is, hey, 
if you're going to be a part of this church, this is what we do. Um, if that is not for you, it's okay. We love you. We want you to stay, but just know this is what we're about. And so I'm not exaggerating, man. We have had people leave our church. Um, and when I ask them why, they say, you guys actually expect people to live this out. And I'm like, yes, thank you. That's we do. so sad. Dude. <laughs> it is sad. And and I, I'm not mad at them. Like I get it. That's not what they're used to. That's not what they think Christianity is. But, but it's heartbreaking. It is. I don't, like, other than just, like, traditions or cultural norms, there is no way of making a case that Christianity is anything else. <laughs> right. Other than the fact that, well, it just hasn't looked like that here for yeah, my whole life. That's right. Well, that's because your whole life we've screwed it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to yes. fix it. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's scary, man. It is scary. But I, I think the Holy Spirit, I, I tell our people this all the time. I said, listen, if you pray and ask for the Lord to bring somebody in front of you that you can talk to that day and share the hope of Jesus with, I promise he wants it more than you. Just pray and ask for it. And so I know the Holy Spirit wants nothing more than to pour out, you know, his presence, his power and move in our city like we've never seen before. But just like the Bible says, Jesus is looking back and forth across the earth going like, all right, who's it going to be? And and I want to stick my hand in the air, and I want our people to stick their hand in the air, and I want a bunch to join with a bunch of my brothers who are leading churches that we're going to stick our hands in the air and say, "Hey, Lord, it's me. Here I am," um, and that He would He would find us faithful um, on our faces, you know, with that white hot faith and that extraordinary prayer and fasting, just saying, "Lord, we'll be faithful. Just show us what to do. Let us train our people and deploy them, and, and just you you do the rest. You move, yeah. and you know." And so um, I'm not sure we'd know how to handle that if it actually happened. Well, of course we wouldn't, dude. I mean, <laughs> like, that, that's what the Bible is literally chock full of, is yeah. a bunch of people going, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. And then halfway through, they're going, why did I say I'd do that? Like, this is terrifying. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Moses was kind of interesting because he freaked out on the front end of it. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. At least he knew, you know. <laughs> that's right. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard. Yeah. But, so, I mean, the the thing that... You, you've challenged me to do, yeah. um, and, and kind of all the guys sitting around the table, and it's part of the, the process, is going to find a three people to disciple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Three, three disciple makers. Yeah. Um, That's that right. You are going to intentionally teach everything you know, mm -hmm. and then turn them out to go do the same. Yeah. And then they go find their three. Yeah. And that you then keep training your yep. guys. Yep. And they're just... The guys you're doing life with, the guys right, you're yeah. discipling, whatever. Um, I, I think that's super cool. But, like, what would you say? Okay, I'll tell you I'll, my current predicament. Yeah. I've got two guys. Yeah. I'm trying to work on a third. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell people, look, if that's the best you can do right now, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a pretty good start, but keep praying for that third person. That's right. Right? Like, um, how how long would you say a discipleship partnership like that yeah. should last between you and like a few people before eventually going, okay, you guys are ready. Yeah. Is it just when they're ready? That's a, that's a great question, man. It's so funny too. Cause if you, if you watch how Jesus did this, I think we'd all agree. No one he turned loose was ready. Right. <laughs> right. So here's what scares us. Yeah. Here, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Here's what scares me about, actually living scripture out. I'm, I am afraid to let the Holy Spirit do his job. Yeah. 
because in my mind, I go, well, what if they go out and they heretically share Jesus with someone? Well, that is a possibility, but man, you'd have to mess it up really bad to heretically share Jesus with someone if you've spent any time with that disciple at all, right? Right. Um, so I think it comes back to a control issue. I mean, you think about the 72. We don't really know how much time Jesus spent with them, but I know it wasn't much. And the 72, when they were deployed, they came back and they were like, Jesus, we actually cast demons out of people. We healed. We did this. And he goes, yeah, I know. I saw Satan falling from heaven. He goes, but don't rejoice in that you can trample over snakes and scorpions. Rejoice. Your name is written down in heaven. And mm. so, like, we rejoice in the, the things we can do and accomplish. Jesus is like, yeah, that's that's not to be rejoiced in. Right. <laughs> to be rejoiced is coming back to the, the gospel centrality of your life that you didn't deserve or owe, weren't owed salvation, and I set you free and I rescued you. <laughs> that's what you rejoice about, right? And so I think if we can just shift to the mindset of Jesus and the way that he trained and deployed, um, he knew they were going to go out and mess up. I mean – he told Peter, you're going to deny me. And he still used him to start the church that we're talking about today, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's, that's a really good question, man, that I probably don't even have a good answer for. Um, but it's I just think case by case basis. Yeah. And I think we have to let people fail because God let me start a church and I failed and I was not ready. And then he let me start another one. And so I think it's when it happens to us, we're like, well, we forget. I think we forget that. And then we're like, yeah, but I don't want somebody else to fail. Yeah, but that's not how Jesus works. <laughs> right. He never, he never ever expects perfection out of us. And he never ex expects us to be fully ready before we do something. And so I think we have to let them bumble around and fail. And then that's how you learn. It's like a little kid learning to walk, man. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want them to be an expert runner before they take their first step. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. Like that, when we give a responsibility to people, we have to one give them the full responsibility yeah. and say, "This is what I expect of you." Yeah. But then we also have to like let go at some point right. and go, "Okay, like I've got to give you the ability to do this on your own, or else they'll never actually own it because they'll expect right. you to do it for them." That's right. And that's where we're at currently yes. in the church is like. Here, we're going to go get our friends, mm -hmm. and we're going to go get them. You've said this a million times, and we're going to bring them back to the church so my pastor can explain the gospel yep. to them. Yep. And it's like, that's not what the Bible says to yeah. do at all. all right. You go, yeah. and you spread the gospel, that's right. and you make disciples, yeah. and then you teach them to go do the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, man. It's so the and then that one step further than that is that actual disciple making piece. So one of the things that we do is, okay, all right. Zach, I, I'm going to do this and you watch me. Mm. Then I'm going to do it and you're going to help me. And then you're going to do it and I'm going to help you. And then you're going to do it and I'm just going to watch. Right. But then you're going to do it and someone else is going to watch you. Yes. So that's the handoff and the multiplication piece. And then that cycle just goes over and over and over and over um, because then I go get somebody else. Right. And so, but a lot of times discipleship is, is one generation deep now. And what I mean by discipleship is big distinction between discipleship and disciple making. Discipleship is 
our definition is to hear and obey Jesus, a person who hears and obeys Jesus. So in our churches, we go, okay, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to have a quiet time. And then we, once you establish that, we go, okay, see you Sunday. We never then teach them to be a disciple maker, which is a person who hears and obeys Jesus and teaches others to do the same. And so for us, if we want to see four generations deep of disciple making, just like Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, then we have to be actually building an expectation that they're going to reproduce themselves as well. And then the person that's reproducing themselves is going to reproduce themselves. And on and on and on this goes. Yeah. Right? So big difference in discipleship and disciple making. Yeah. When you originally uh, started telling me about like the way you come alongside somebody mm-hmm. and say, okay, look, I'm going to do this. You're going to watch, then you're, you're going to do it or I'm going to do it. You're going to help. Yeah. Um, then you're going to do it. I'm going to help. You're going to yeah. do it. I'm going to watch. Yeah. So that's actually a consulting tool that we oh, use. Nice. Uh, right. And there's a piece of that, that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on yeah. because I, I, I never hear people mention this part in that yeah. square, Yeah. but they call it the pit of despair. And uh-huh. giant, which is what we use. Yeah. Um, but it's at that point where they've started to help you do something. Mm-hmm. It's that step between uh, you do, or uh, I do, you help. Yeah. And then you do, I help. Uh-huh. And they call it the pit of despair. And that's where people fall apart because they yeah. realize how bad they suck at it. Yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, they've got this idea that well i'll be fine at it but then they start to actually put their boots on the ground and they're like oh this is hard yeah and so the they say the only way to get people out of that Mm -hmm. is through time vision and encouragement Mm. but the time has to be split into two parts it has to be informal and formal yeah right yeah which you were talking about just sitting around and having dinner and just talking about life and having a good time but then Talking about community. Now it's business. Yeah. Now it's recreational. You yeah. got to have both. Right. Then the vision has to be short term and long term. What mm-hmm. are you doing right now? Mm-hmm. And here's where you got to be going. You got to have your sight set. And then the encouragement is specific and non generic mm. that it's like relational, right? Yeah. Like, I yeah. know you. I know you can do this. Here's how you're wired. Here's how you're designed. You're capable of doing yeah. this. Yeah. So good. You think that's fair? I mean, I do. So it's so funny. We actually did this last night in our community. Everything you just said. Okay. (laughs) And it came up just um, randomly, quite honestly. I've got a missionary in town named Bjorn Lutke from, he's in Marseille, France. He's been there for like the last 25 or 30 years. And I went over in early 20 and trained a bunch of his church planters. And um, he is, he's a global movement leader. This guy is incredibly gifted. And he was at my community last night. And one of our, our newest ladies to there, she just, she's recently got saved and um, she, she started to bring her whole family and she's in our community. Um, we have a prayer team that after service, you can go up and get prayer for either for to talk about, you know, what it means to surrender your life to Jesus or just get prayer. And she's like, I really want to be a part of the prayer team, but I'm a terrible prayer. Okay. So it's what you just said, that kind of pit of despair. Well, this is piggybacking off of last week's community when I asked her to pray and she's like, oh, I can't do that. And then I asked her to pray for someone that she didn't like literally in their family. Okay. So she did it. And, you know, she stumbled around and, um, you know, there's no way to measure prayer, but it, it was, it was, it was a simple, good prayer. Right. right. 
And so um, this this week, last night, when she came in, she brought it up again. And I said, all right, I'll tell you what. We have the opportunity. We have a global leader sitting here. He's going to teach you how to pray. Bjorn, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> and he, what he's, he gave her just simple, basic instruction of, listen, the way to beat your fear is you jump in and you beat your fear. You start praying. You start, you, you just, this person. So the way that it works is after our service, we, it's kind of old school, I guess. I don't know. We have a prayer team up front. People walk up and they pray with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a long walk for people sometimes, but she was more nervous about praying over a person. And we reminded her, how do you think the person walking up to you feels number one? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. And so what you pray over them you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give you and you're leading. And so then I had her pray right then and there and she did it. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, like our people encouraged her, literally clapped for her <laughs> and what it did for her, um, the encouragement for her to go, all right, I will be on the prayer team now. I mean, it, it all happened in one setting last night rapidly. That's and awesome. so, <laughs> um, but, but I, I agree with it. It's that moment of despair. That's like, yeah, I can't. And I think that's, that's such a crucial key in, in shifting to a disciple maker or shrinking back to a disciple. It's just relationship, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's taking the time to make sure your whole relationship isn't just, oh, we're just cutting up, having a good time. Mm. But that there's also time to be like, okay, now let me actually walk you through this. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think we have a hard time. We think that if we mean too much business or like if we ever talk business with like yeah. the people we love, yeah. that we're going to like scare them off or something. No, they love you. They're going to hear you out. Right. You know, you're, you're trying to get them where they need to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. So, all right. Um, we're kind of nearing the end here, yeah. but. We're talking Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. We're in Indy. We're yeah. south side of Indy. We're not even yeah. like the full city, right? right? Right. We want to make sure that everyone in Indianapolis hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our long-term goal, right. right? Yeah. If somebody's listening to this right now and they're like, I'm in, you know, whatever city. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm across the country. I'm in a different country. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. What can they do? to start making something like this happen where they're at. Sure. Well, uh, Christtogether.org is the organization website to check it out, to go on. Um, you can download a gospel primer for free. Um, I, I'm what's called a, a city guide. So um, I would be more than happy to walk you through what that looks like too. But I think the first place it has to start is if you're not deeply convicted about this, you can't, you can't passionately bring others along with you on this journey. So it's going to start with you first and foremost. Um, if you're if you're a pastor listening to this, <clears throat> um, how did you answer those questions? What's it going to take to reach your city? And can I do it alone? Um, my, my guess is you don't know <laughs> what it's going to take, and you already know you can't do it alone. So ask Jesus to set a deep conviction for lostness in your city, whether you're a pastor, a leader, a listener, a stay-at-home mom, an executive, whatever you are listening today, ask Jesus, regardless of you, what you do for a living, to set a deep conviction for the lost in your heart. Ask for the eyes of Jesus. As he rode up over the hill, looked down on the city, and just started weeping because they were a city that was helpless and harassed, is what the Bible tells us. I want, I want my heart to beat like that for the lost of our city. Um, I'll tell you how this conviction was set in my life. If, if we have enough time for me Go to for say it, that. Man. Yeah, you're okay. good. Um, I'll, I'll rewind. I grew up in church. 
Um, at 13, at six years old, I went to an altar and I prayed a prayer. At 13 years old, my grandma, my great grandma died two weeks apart from each other. It devastated my life. The church had no answers for me. In my opinion, Jesus had no answers for me. Okay. Fast forward 18, I left the church. I said, if this is what this is, I want nothing to do with it. As soon as I could get out of my parents' house, I left the church. I went on four years of literally doing everything that church told me not to do. <laughs> okay. Um, really rebellious. Um, I, I don't regret that time in my life because it, God has allowed me to use my story to share the hope of the gospel with a lot of people. Um, but I'm not proud of it, you know? And so I, I got, I first started doing drugs and dealing drugs. And then, um, for context of the level I was at, the two guys I did this with both got, both got bested, <laughs> busted on a federal charge. Oh, wow. One got out of prison about five years ago, six years ago. The other one got out a year ago and I was with him and should have been with them there. And God just completely protected me from that. Um, when people say I should be dead or in jail, that is a true story of my life. Um, and God had a different plan for me. I don't know why I didn't go that other route with those guys, but I'm grateful. With that being said, that is where the, my true journey back towards Jesus started. So I was working with a guy, I'm a construction worker by trade, who was so passionate about Jesus. He's about a 60 year old guy. It literally drove me crazy because it's all he ever talked about. So one day we go to lunch and I said, why are you so passionate about Jesus? And so he tells me this story. He said, I was apathetic. I was your average church goer. I only went because my wife wanted me to. This missionary shows up one night and starts showing these slides. And I'm, I'm completely moved by what God's doing around the world. And so I said, you know, God, I'll follow you if you'll give me a reason to have that kind of passion. He said, I went to sleep that night. And he said, Mike, <clears throat> you can believe me or not, but God took me to hell. And he showed me what it was like. I was terrified. These things were crawling on me. There were things swirling around me. I was falling. It was hot. It was dark. I, I, I don't even know how to describe all of it to you. My wife thought I was having a heart attack and was calling 911 as I woke up in the middle of the night. And I woke up and I said, our life has to change right now. And here's why. And it did. And so I, <clears throat> I sat on that for a few years. I didn't tell anybody that. And then I met my wife, we get married and I said, okay, God, <clears throat> um, I believe in you, but I'm nowhere near passionate for you. I, I want that experience. I want you to take me to hell. I want to see it. And then I'll be passionate for you. And he didn't even respond. <laughs> Nothing happened. And I kept pursuing that. And one night in a dream, he showed me something different. He didn't take me to hell. What he showed me was Matthew seven twenty one through 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. He gave me a picture in my dream one night where I was standing off to the side of the throne and I couldn't really see Jesus's face, but I watched person after person walk up in front of him and hear, depart from me. And as they turned, he let me see the look on their face and he let me feel what they felt. And dude, I can tell you that still wakes me up in the middle of the night. It keeps me from sleeping. It wakes me up in the morning sometimes because it was me. And at that point, I had not truly surrendered my life to Christ. And so... I, I woke up from that and I was in my apartment and the only way I can describe it is I remember I was 13, 14, 
I was in my room doing something I wasn't supposed to do. My mom whips my door open and I went <gasps> like that. And that feeling of being busted and like you're just caught, that feeling times the biggest number you can think of is what those people felt like. And I vowed that day, I don't want anybody to ever feel that. Now, you know, 165,000 people a day die around the globe. Obviously, people are feeling that. And this is why my heart is so passionately for the loss in our cities and our, in our world. And so he set a conviction deep in my heart. First off, I surrender my life immediately then. Um, and I have been passionately living for Jesus ever since because of that. Now, that's not going to be everybody's story. Every salvation is a true and amazing miracle, and it's a radical salvation, no matter what your story is. I would ask for that deep conviction to be set in your heart. That's how this has to start. And so um, every day that I walk through our city or I interact with people, it's always on my heart and my mind of where they would spend eternity. And so um, if that becomes the overarching goal and theme of your life, um, Christ together and what they're doing follows after that, because that's the conviction that they want to set in your heart. So that's what I would say. Hey Amen, dude. Yeah. Love it. So that's awesome. Yeah. And terrifying. <laughs> I know. But worth it. Yeah. Got, that's, you got to have fuel. You got to have yeah. something in your tank pushing you forward, man. I mean, yeah. and that's the, one of the best reasons. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not that you're afraid for you. Yeah. You're afraid for everybody else, dude. Yeah, and that's, that's, right. that's what we're called to do is to yeah. love God, love our neighbor. Yeah. And they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for being here, man. Thanks yeah. for talking to me. Uh, let me uh, take thanks an hour of your me. life. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it. this is awesome, dude. Right on. Yeah. Um, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, how can people uh, follow your church or follow yeah. Christ Together? Where What websites yeah. again? Uh, so ChristTogether.org and then CityLifeIndy.org. Cool. Um, so, yeah. I'm not great on social media, so you can follow me, but I probably won't know it. <laughs> hey, same. I, I, I get it, yeah. man. Uh, uh, so you can check us out at uh, saltysaintspodcast.com or uh, shoot us a message um, at questions at becomehope.com or questions at salty or salt sorry sorry salty saints at becomehope.com we got way too many things right now <laughs> uh, but the easiest way to reach us is just through the website at this point so that's the new way um, but the other ways are still possible um, make sure to check out our friends at Life Audio. They got lots of podcasts on raising your family, um, on reading your Bible, on prayer, uh, just getting to know God, getting to know yourself. They're great. We love them. Check them out. And until next time, stay salty. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.